0: Good morning again, Calvary Bible Church. Let's go ahead and turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and finish this book off this morning. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Amen. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. Paul closes with these words. Now, may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand, and this is a distinguishing mark in every letter. This is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And, Father, as we get into this short but sweet text, I pray that you will just allow our hearts, Lord, to just be... Blown away by your graciousness, your goodness, Lord, how peace-filled you are in desire for us to have the peace that passes all understanding. Lord, I pray that we would apply this word of truth to our lives and that you would be blessed by it. We pray this in your son Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Think for a moment some of the different ways that the word peace is used out there in the world. For instance, we have peace officers, we have peacemakers. I like this one. We call missiles what? Peacekeepers. We have peacetime, the Nobel Peace Prize. Peace process, peace offerings, even disturbing the peace. We have justice of the peace, peace pipes, inner peace, peace core, peace treaties, peace on earth, peace of mind, Uh, not to be confused with, I'll give you a piece of my mind, right? (laughs) Miss America always seems to want what? World peace. Going back to the 1960s, we have popular phrases like, peace brothers, And love, sisters. John Lennon had his slogan, give peace a chance. And we've come up with symbols like the peace symbol and the peace sign. Apollo 11's motto was, we come in peace for all mankind. And of course we have many, many books and songs and movies and TV shows written about peace. Son Will, when he was three, loved the saying, I'm Buzz Lightyear. I come in peace. <laughs> I mention this because peace, as we just read, will be the primary focus of our time this morning. There's, there's four different points that we will look at, but, but peace is going to dominate the, the majority of our time this morning, from 2 Thessalonians 3, 16 to 18. And as we've said in this latter part of chapter 3, Paul has has addressed some problematic issues... In regard to the church at Thessalonica, namely those living an undisciplined, unruly life, especially in regard to their work, or we could say their lack thereof. And even more specifically, what what to do with these sinning brothers and sisters who would even refuse to work. But remember too, that for the most part, Paul was very enthusiastic about Uh, The work that he was seeing in this church and he he commended them much for just the the solid ministry that he was witnessing and hearing about in a relatively short amount of time. And this amidst much persecution and affliction and suffering for the Thessalonian church. And now he's ready to finally sign off, but with some last requests of God to bless this church. And the first blessing is this. We see his blessing of peace. The blessing of peace. Back in verse 16. Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. And we, we might want to ask first off, well, what does the Lord of peace <clears throat> mean? We saw something similar back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. When Paul said, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And Paul often referred to the God of peace and the peace of God in his letters. The Lord of peace would seemingly point more specifically to Jesus. As the last time he used Lord was back in verse 12 of chapter 3 when he referred to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it would make sense that he's referring to Jesus here as Jesus lord and certainly it would be true that both god and father and god the father and the lord jesus as son would be identified by this moniker of peace and in some sense peace is also one of god's attributes we see this uh, in a passage like first corinthians 5 excuse me first corinthians 14:33 this verse is in the context of the spiritual gift of prophecy And it's abuse when Paul writes, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Peace, again, part of his attributes, part of his nature. And as I I like to often do, it, it helps me and I hope it's helpful for you to sometimes ask what something is not. When you're trying to define something. And and so what peace is not is just as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14.33. It is not confusion. Actas testia. It means commotion. Tumult. And is translated as disturbance. As in Jesus speaking of end times Wars and disturbances in Luke twenty-one nine, or disturbances even among people in the church. Second Corinthians twelve and verse twenty, James three sixteen. James writes, "For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder." It's that same word, disorder, and every evil thing. This again is what peace is not. Now, in addition, peace is also not contentiousness it's not quarrelsome or strife filled or anxious or worrisome or stressful or fearful or fretful or troublesome angry agitated conflict or war these are things these and things like these are the antithesis of peace so now we come to what is peace well let's just consider webster's for a for a moment Because that is how the majority of, of folks will understand peace. In Webster's it says a state of tranquility or quiet. Freedom from civil disturbance. A state of security or order within a community provided for by law or custom. Also freedom from disquieting or oppressive thoughts or emotions. Harmony in personal relationships. And lastly, a state or period of mutual concord between governments. A a pact or agreement to end hostilities between those who have been at war or in a state of enmity. Now, of course, we care more about what the Bible says about peace, how the Bible defines peace. And for that, we turn to the most common word for peace in the New Testament, irene. Irani, which has several meanings and and actually quite similar to Webster's, such as harmony, opposition or dissension, war, excuse me, the opposite of dissension and war, tranquility, health, welfare, prosperity, and every kind of good. When we look back into the Old Testament, you're going to be familiar with this word, shalom, shalom. Shalom is the word used for peace. It literally means to be whole or, or safe or sound. And, and it was often used as a greeting or a farewell. But it, it really, in that sense, means more along the lines of, may that which is good within you richly abound and flow out to those around you. That's what they were saying when they would say, Shalom. Peace was also the paramount blessing that Israel was looking for in the Messianic kingdom. Frankly, it's what we all look for, isn't it? Just in the course of our daily lives. I mean, we know that we have that future permanent peace to look forward to when Christ returns and sets up His kingdom here on earth. And then we get into the new heavens and the new earth. But isn't that what Every person wants and desires even here in this life, so getting back to verse sixteen and Jesus being the Lord of peace, what other implications does that have for for us? How else can we understand Jesus as the lord of peace and and i'm going to put to you three different ways, and our gals, our ladies just had uh, yesterday their their time of fellowship and teaching, and it was all on Peace And I was asking my wife just uh, for some of the the things that they talked about. And it just sounded amazing. sounded like, man, they were covering all the bases talking about peace. But first, we want to consider peace with God. Peace with God. And I know I'm not going to surprise anyone here. and, And this is something I know I have preached before. But the fact is, all human beings, all of us start out as enemies of God. There is no peace with God. And this goes back to the fall of mankind in the garden. God's consequences for man, including the truth that all people are born of the seed of Adam. That is, we are born of the flesh. We are born sinners. And not only are we born sinners, but we choose to sin. As we read and know from Romans 3, 23, 4, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, which, which means, too, that we all start out enemies of God, but also friends of the world. Which is to say we are, again, enemies of God. We have been ensnared by the devil. We've been held captive by him to do his will. We find ourselves, as James 4, 6 says, in opposition to God. The prophet Isaiah in the book of Isaiah 59 verses 2 and 3 writes, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. That's true of us, friends. He continues, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. There is this separation. God does not hear for your hands are defiled with blood. And your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken falsehood. Your tongue mutters wickedness. This was all of us. And speaking of for himself. The Lord says through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 57 verses 20 to 21. But the wicked are like the tossing sea. For it cannot be quiet. And its waters toss up refuse and mud. There is no Peace, says my God, for the wicked. This word picture we have here of this tumultuous tossing up sea is bad enough, but you add to that refuse and mud. I grew up in the San Francisco Bay area, and the San Francisco Bay is just like a big mud pot. And then, if you've ever been on a boat, and we used to go fishing, we would go outside the Golden Gate, and you hit the little area called the Potato Patch, and it's where the water's just churning and moving, and now it's mud and just moving and tossing about, and or we might think of something like even the Ganges River in India, and and those pictures and things that you've seen where you talk about a water filled with pollution and waste and you combine that with ginormous waves and it's, it's again, the antithesis of peaceful. And, of course, the answer to this problem of being an enemy of God is to be reconciled with Him, to have peace with God. There's a great Old Testament example of this in Numbers 25. Numbers chapter 25. I'm going to read to you verses 10 to 13. This was when Israel was an enemy of God. In Numbers 25, beginning in verse 10, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, has turned away my wrath from the sons of Israel, and that he was jealous with my jealousy among them, so that I did not destroy the sons of Israel, in my jealousy. Therefore say, Behold, I give him my covenant of peace, and it shall be for him and his descendants after him a covenant of a perpetual priesthood, because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the sons of Israel. Because at the time, Israel was not at peace with God due to their sin. And when we move into the New Testament, we see in Luke, we see something like Zacharias' prophecy about the life of his soon-to-be son, John the Baptist, of whom he says, quote, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before on before the Lord to prepare His ways to give to His people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Peace. In other words, the forgiveness of sins will bring peace with God. The only way for reconciliation, friends, to be Possible is to be freed from your bonds to Satan, liberated from your prison of sin. And this has happened compliments of the Lord Jesus Christ who went to the cross in your place to take the punishment that you and I deserve for our sins against our holy, righteous God. God in his justice must punish sin, but thankfully he chose to punish his son instead in order that we could have peace with him. That was the whole point. And thankfully, Jesus willingly died on our behalf, taking our sin upon himself and becoming sin for us so that the Father's wrath could be appeased. We could be forgiven fully and completely for all time, for all eternity. And this is what then allows us to be reconciled with God, to come back to God, to be a part of His eternal kingdom with He and His Son. Our reconciliation back to Him brings us peace with Him. We see this in a passage like Colossians 1, 21 and 22, where Paul says, "...and although you were formerly alienated, hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds..." Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. That's the only way that can happen. There was once a husband and wife. They'd become estranged, finally separated. They left the city and resided in different parts of the country. And the husband one day chanced to return to this city on a matter of business. And he went out to the cemetery to the grave of their only son. He was standing by the grave in fond reminiscence when he heard a step behind him. Turning, he saw his estranged wife. The first inclination of both was to turn away. But you see, they had a common Binding interest in that grave. And instead of turning away. They clasped hands over that grave of their son. And they were reconciled one to another. The point here being. It took nothing less than death. To reconcile them. And friends it takes nothing less than death. The precious blood of Christ to reconcile us back to God. To bring us back into relationship with God. The death of His Son, the blood of Jesus. Now, friends, this peace of God is foundational to all other forms of biblical peace. So let's return to our text back in verse 16 where again Paul says, Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. And Paul again was writing to the church as a whole. So this would certainly include things like peace with others. Peace with others. At last year's Christmas concert, I shared a story about the Christmas truce of 1914 during world war one where in that week leading up to december 25th french german and british soldiers crossed trenches to exchange seasonal greetings and talk and in some areas men from both sides ventured into that area called no man's land on christmas eve and christmas day to mingle and exchange food and and souvenirs And there were actually joint burial ceremonies. And even prisoner swaps while several meetings ended in carol singing. Men played games of football with one another, giving one of the most memorable images of this truce. Well, the New Testament is very clear in its stand for peace with one another, very clear about our call for peace with others. For instance, Matthew 5, 9, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. In Romans 14, 19, Paul says, So then we pursue the things which make for peace, and the building up of one another. In Colossians three fifteen, he also says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. To which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Or 1 Thessalonians 5.13, if you remember, he said to live in peace with one another. 1 Peter 3.10-11 says, For the one who desires life to love and see good days... I mean, is that you? Do you desire life and love and to see good days? He says, must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. Go after it. Romans 12 and verse 18, Paul says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with all men. And the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. And and what's interesting, especially about these last couple that I just read, is that Paul, and the author of Hebrews, is now taking us outside of the church realm. in that one another, in terms of brothers and sisters in Christ, and he's going outside those doors, friends. He's talking about pursuing peace with those out there in the world and demonstrating a sanctified life to those outside outside for the purpose of being able to introduce people to Jesus Christ. If we're enemies with those outside the church, how are we ever going to have a gospel opportunity with them? We're not. Those are the people that need forgiveness. Those are the people that, that need that forgiveness of sins and eternal life and i know sometimes we just want to hate the world and we hate what we see happening and but we have to be careful that we don't let that color us to the point where or affect us to the point where we start seeing outsiders as enemies and we're not seeking to offer them peace to be peaceful with them or live in peace with them again for the sake of Of the gospel message. We have to all be diligent. And and proactive, vigilant, Christian peacemakers. We must take great efforts and make great strides. In seeking and pursuing peace with others. Right? Inside the church but outside the church as well. And there's a third aspect of peace I want us to focus on this morning. And we'll call that peace within ourselves. Or personal peace. Peace. And we see this from verse 16. This is Paul's desire that every believer would continually be granted God's peace in every circumstance of their lives, of your lives, of my life. Not the world's version of peace, friends, but but God's version, which is a supernatural peace that can only come from him. And we think to ourselves, or maybe we could ask the question, does that always happen? Does it always happen? The granting of peace by God, yes. It is always continually available. The problem for some of us is that this peace of God, this peace from God, can be interrupted. There can always be someone or something, including ourselves, that seeks to get in the way or seeks to kind of thwart or or take away God's peace. Author Jerry Bridges in his book, Fruitful Life, calls these things disturbers of the peace. Disturbers of the peace. Augustus, the emperor, once heard that a gentleman of Rome despite a, a great burden of debt, slept quietly and took his ease. So he desired to buy the man's bed. The man's bed that he slept in. Needless to say, it was a futile, useless purchase. These disturbers of our peace oh, can be many things. It can be those those big and incredibly distressing circumstances in our lives whether it be illness or disease or death job loss financial struggles intense relationship difficulties and and yet sometimes it's these bigger issues that tend to actually drive us closer to the lord and 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 into the arms of god for his refuge strength and peace because we recognize ah This is too big. I have to run to the Lord. But I would also argue that these. These disturbers of the peace can be. The more everyday. Situations of life that we. Tend to want to deal with on our own. And often even in a sinful way. An argument with your spouse. Your kids disobeying you. Difficult relationships. Mistreatment, discontent, circumstances not going your way, unmet expectations, not getting what you want or think you deserve, pride, anxieties, worries, jealousies, fear, resentment, and the list goes on of that which robs you of this personal, spiritual. Peace, not peace with God, but the peace of God. And to to say that these things rob you of peace is probably not as accurate as saying we allow these things to rob us of that peace, or even that our sin prevents us from having the supernatural peace of God. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John 14, 27. Keep your bookmark there and we'll go back to John 14 for just a minute. <clears throat> Jesus understood this. And so he prayed to the Father on behalf of his disciples in the upper room the night before he was crucified. And And here he's been teaching them about the helper, Right? That he will send them, that is the Holy Spirit, who will be with them forever. And he says this in John 14, beginning in verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Now friends, uh, two kind of major truths here from this passage or that Jesus tells them that through the holy spirit they will be given his very own peace. And again, this is supernatural peace. It is a peace that is unlike any kind of peace that the world could offer us. It is a guaranteed peace. And then secondly, he tells them not to let their hearts be troubled nor fearful, because guess what? That will impede that peace. It's another two-sided coin. On one side is the peace given to us by the Holy Spirit, and on the other side is that human responsibility to certainly accept his peace and put it into practice, which often means first ridding ourselves of sin. In other words, Jesus says, you can either choose to have my peace, which Paul would later identify in Philippians as that peace that passes all understanding, or you can have a troubled, fretful heart. choice is up to you. Tap into my peace, or you can have the world's version of peace, which is really no peace at all. Turn to John 16. Maybe just a page or two. John 16, verse 33. This is much later in his prayer. But you still see this major theme of peace. John 16, in verse 33. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage. I have overcome the world. And again, friends, two promises. The first is that they will have tribulation while living in the world. That applies to us as well. Anyone seen or experienced any of that out there lately? Exactly. These are those disturbances to peace that we've talked about. Countless circumstances that we let jeopardize our peace. Now the second promise is that in Christ we can have peace because Christ says he's overcome the world and all of its circumstances and disturbances. In Ephesians 1 and verse 22, he promises us that he, meaning the father, put all things in subjection under his, his son's feet and gave him the son as head of the over all things to the church. That would be us. Jesus has all power and authority over the world and universe and he exercises that power for our good and for his glory, friends. And so again, we might ask ourselves, so what's the problem here? What's the problem with, with having this peace, the peace of God? Maybe it's that we don't really believe that the same God who has all the power over the universe and, and has overcome the world and who has our best interests at heart and continually grants us peace in every circumstance. Maybe we really don't believe that. Or, Or maybe it's not that we don't believe it, but still... We are allowing something to disturb that peace. And as we said earlier, maybe it's in a sinful way. What if what if you feel like you're doing all the right stuff? I'm doing all the right stuff. Ah, oh yeah, I'm loving my family and I feel like I'm loving other people and I'm... Working hard, an active participant in the church, and, you know, I think I'm fairly solid in my spiritual disciplines, but you still feel peaceless. I would argue that the problem still, friend, is not with God, but it would be with us. It would be with us. We might feel like we're doing all the right things, but are we really? And this is when we need to sometimes beg God, beg God to show us what we not might not be seeing, what is there that we're not catching or acknowledging. And if sin's the culprit, then we need to ask God to reveal that to us so that we can repent, obey, and have peace restored. In Romans 2:10, Paul writes, "But glory and honor, And peace to everyone who does good. Who does good. Now this is not saying that good works equal peace. In some kind of legalistic fashion. But rather doing good for God's sake. For God's glory. Equals peace. Thomas Watson Puritan once wrote. If you would have peace. Make war with sin. Make war with it. It's nothing to trifle over. And so here, friends, are just some some things that you might consider if if you come to that conclusion that your own sin is getting in the way of having the Lord's peace. Know that that you you may be under the Lord's discipline. If you like, turn to Job chapter 5. Job chapter 5. Beginning in verse 17, interesting passage. This this counsel that we will read here is coming from Eliphaz, one of Job's friends. But it holds up scriptural truth based on what we know from texts like even Leviticus 26, Hebrews 12. And so his friend Eliphaz in Job chapter 5, beginning in verse 17, says this. And we're not saying this as some indictment on Job. It's just what's coming from Eliphaz, okay? He says, Behold, how happy is the man whom God reproves. In other words, who God calls out on their sin. So do not despise the discipline of the Almighty, for he inflicts pain and gives relief. He wounds and his hands also heal. You could continue to read on down through verse 24 where, where you, you see kind of uh, what, what, what God does by way of disciplining his children. We have, of course, in Hebrews 12 and verse 11, "...all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields what? The peaceful fruit of righteousness." So we have to, to not just kind of try to... If we feel like we're under the discipline of the Lord, if that might be a possibility, we, we have to not despise it. We, we need to repent. We need to accept it and by His grace move forward, right? Secondly, something else to consider is that we would make sure we are walking in the Holy Spirit as the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, excuse me, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Even a few verses later, in Galatians 6.16, God promises peace for those who do not participate in keeping the law. In other words, legalism, but rather trust in the new covenant of grace. And along with trusting in the new covenant, we want to make sure that we are just trusting in the Lord, As Psalm 42 and verse 11 has the psalmist asking, Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. We want to have our hope in God, peace in God, so that we don't despair. Make sure that you are pursuing, of course, those spiritual disciplines, not again from that legalistic heart, but from a a heart that loves God, that you're having time in the word and time in prayer and that you are serving, that you are giving and evangelizing and those kinds of things. And lastly, for anyone needing to rid themselves of, of these disturbances of peace so as to resume peace, just pray. Pray and humbly ask God to bring to mind what those disturbances might be, that those would indeed be removed. And again, if there's any sin, that we would repent of that sin so that God will hear. As Brock read at the beginning of the service, Philippians 4, 6-7, to which says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with Thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That's kind of key there. And what? The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then, I almost forgot, verse 9, where he says, "...the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things." In other words, obey. Obey these things. And the God of peace will be with you. The implication being that if you're in disobedience, is the God of peace going to be with you? Of course not. I I, I challenge any one of us to say, oh, yeah, when I'm in just a deep place of sin, man, I still just have that peace of God. Yeah. Not. And notice that God here in this passage, he is not promising deliverance from those things that are disturbing your peace. He is not promising deliverance from difficulties, but rather that with those things, you can still actually have the peace of God. His peace that goes beyond any worldly understanding of peace, it will be there to guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And I think that's the problem with us sometimes. It's just, Lord, deliver us from these things. They're not fun. They don't feel good. Just uh, get me out of this. In looking for peace. That's, that's not the promise he gives us. Now, you might be delivered from these things, but that's not the promise. The promise is is that even while we are going through these things, there will still be that peace. 19th century American pastor A.T. Pearson once said, The peace of God is that eternal calm which lies far too deep in the praying, trusting soul to be reached by any external disturbances. I also like what Spurgeon had to say. He said, I looked at Christ and the dove of peace flew into my heart. I looked at the dove of peace and it flew away. Meaning apart from Christ, friends, there is no true personal peace. Now, As I said, I, I, I plan for us to spend the bulk of our time on peace. But with our last few minutes, just let us briefly consider some of these other things that, that, that Paul prays for here. These will go much quicker. Uh, the second blessing that he offers us is the blessing of presence. The blessing of presence. Back to 2 Thessalonians 3, 16, the second half of that verse. He says, The Lord be with you all. And indeed, friends, he is as the omnipresent God, but more specifically, as we've already acknowledged, he gives us the Holy Spirit to live in us, to indwell us, to abide in us and, and Paul's request implies a presence that will serve to strengthen and encourage believers. God's presence will help you to resist temptation, to say no to sin, to say yes to righteousness. It will help you to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And it will help you to effectively serve him. As we read in Hebrews 13, now the God of peace equip you in every good thing to do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight. His presence will help you to persevere and endure trials as He promises to never leave or forsake you. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What is that but to... Have God's peace. And lastly, his presence will help you to evangelize the lost. As Jesus said to his disciples in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. Even to the remotest part of the earth. There's a poem. Maybe it's a hymn. This is the secret of the holy, not our holiness, but him, Jesus. Empty us and fill us with thy fullness to the brim. Thirdly, he offers us the blessing of truth. he, He prays on our behalf for the blessing of truth. Verse 17, back in 2 Thessalonians 3, where he says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. And this is a distinguishing mark in every letter. This is the way I write. And remember the back in chapter 2 verse 2 Paul was dealing with false teachers with the church at Thessalonica that had <coughs> even sent a letter as if it were from the apostles, but really was not. And Paul wanted to erase any confusion or doubt as to the truth of this letter, his letter. And that it was indeed written by his authority as an apostle. And, and it seems too that he personally signed his letters, which then became this distinguishing mark in every letter. As he sends it at, at the end of 1 Corinthians 16, 21, quote, the greeting is in my own hand Paul, uh, Galatians 6 and verse 11 says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. That might be another distinguishing mark, these large letters. Truth was of just paramount concern to Paul. As he said in 2 Corinthians 4 two. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth. Commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. John MacArthur comments, Paul wanted the church to be the pillar and support of the truth. But to do so, it must be able to distinguish between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The only benchmark for doing so is the word of truth, which is why Paul was so deeply concerned to guard, protect, and assure authenticity of the revelation that God gave him. End quote. And the last blessing that Paul prays for is the blessing of grace. The blessing of grace. Verse 18, he says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And of course, friends, there is so much that can be said of grace and and so many passages concerning God's grace. But just to offer a couple, how about Psalm 84 and verse 11 from the Old Testament where the psalmist writes, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who Walk uprightly. There's that call to obedience again. And a New Testament passage, 1 Corinthians 1, verses 4 to 8, where Paul says again, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. That in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Tying grace back to peace, one theologian has said, Grace strikes us when we are in great pain and restlessness. It strikes us when we walk through the dark valley of a seemingly meaningless and empty life. It strikes us when we feel that our separation is deeper than usual. End quote. And another said All men who live with any degree of serenity live by some assurance. So friends, what do we do with what we have learned this morning? Well, I just have a series of questions that you might pose to yourself. Questions like, do you have peace with God? Have you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior so that you are no longer an enemy of god but rather you are a child of god adopted by him and of course if that is you and you see that you do not have peace with god then friend today is the day of your salvation if you would repent and believe if you would put your faith in the lord jesus christ you would trust him as your savior And what he did to secure your salvation. To offer you forgiveness of sins and eternal life. By going to the cross in your place. Dying the death for you. But then going into the ground and three days later resurrecting from the dead. So that you could be absolutely 100% assured that he indeed is God. That he can offer you forgiveness of sins. And like Christ who rose from the dead, you too will rise from the dead. Also ask yourself. Do you have peace with others? Do I have peace with others? And then you have to put in that why or why not. How how is it that I see I I have peace with others? Or how is it that maybe I I don't have peace with others? Well, I've got peace with most people. But yeah, there's that one that just, man, just kind of wronged me yesterday or tweaked me or whatever. And no, I haven't really sensed that I have peace with them. Maybe that's the person you need to go to. So that you can have peace with them. Do you have peace within yourself? Do you have that personal, inner, spiritual peace that is continually granted to you by God? And if not, friends, what are you letting disturb that peace? What is disturbing or getting in the way of that peace? And if it's your sin... What will you do to rectify that? Well, you know what you need to do, right? Again, to repent. To repent. Will you repent? Are you blessed by the presence of God? Do you find blessing in God being present within you? Sometimes these are just good things to take stock of, right? What what are those ways that God's presence has blessed you? Having the Holy Spirit live and dwell and abide in you. And are you blessed by... God's truth does God's truth bless you why or why not are you are you trusting in the sum of his word as truth day in day out for the big things but also for all the little things and everything in between and if not what's getting in the way and will you repent and are you blessed by God's grace what are the graces of God that you have have seen in your life Maybe it's time to take stock of those and just be thankful so that when we go to God in prayer with our request, it's with thanksgiving that then that peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And if you have not been accepting of His grace, how come? What's gotten in the way of that? And, and again, what will you do about it? Will you Repent and receive that grace upon grace that god promises us let's pray father thank you lord for these tremendous words of paul through this whole letter of second thessalonians but just these great reminders lord that there is there is blessing father there is the blessing of peace and the blessing of your presence in us and the blessing of truth the truth of your word and the blessing of your grace may may we take stock of these blessings today father may we give you glory because of these blessings and if we need to repent of any sin lord that we would do that as well so that lord we are not impeding uh, that peace that passes all understanding we pray this in your son jesus's name amen scripture quotations taken from the new american standard bible Copyright by The Lockman Foundation.